This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in southern Middle Tennessee, WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia. Friends, welcome to the second edition episode of American Steel. I'm Mike Steele, and with me is Clayton Harrison. Clayton, how are you today? I'm doing well, Dr. Steele. How's it going? It's going well for me. Uh, again, uh, excited about the first episode. This will be our second. Friends, American Steel is a conservative podcast that seeks to inspire and educate our listeners to think critically about what we, what we see happening in America. It's no secret we have uh, much going on that needs to be fixed, and we have a People out there that intentionally that are intentionally doing whatever they can to destroy what we love and what we want our children, our grandchildren to experience. So for those of you that don't love America, there's always an opportunity for you to leave. Uh, and that's an open invitation. Uh, if you don't know, I served in the military. I was in law enforcement for 10 years and now I'm an educator. Uh, and the other day, Clayton, uh, somebody asked me what the difference between a conservative and a liberal was. And I just wanted to put it. I didn't have a lot of time to talk. So I put it in simple terms. Uh, you help me out with this, that a conservative is somebody who, um, you know, thinks more with uh, thinks more about earning what they have and being uh, respectful and mindful of the sacrifice that it takes to, to have the freedoms that we have and, and to enjoy the American way of life. While a liberal believes that if uh, basically if you if you don't have something and you're not willing to work for it, then we should all get together and give it to you. Correct. And I kind of fall into the libertarian sphere of politics where I'm very conservative, but also believe in very minimal government oversight over the individual. And, um, you know, I think I think this I know we're excited here at WKOM for this podcast and this radio show that you can hear now starting and premiering every Sunday night at 7 p.m. on 101.7 WKOM. Also online at WKOMradio.com and anywhere that you get your podcast. So check it out. Uh, if you can't listen to us live, so hit that subscribe button and, and you'll get an update every time we have a new show. Yeah, well, that's exciting. I appreciate that. And so we are we are looking for guests to be on the show as well here in the near future. And we want this thing to grow. And again, we just want to kind of uh, have our listeners to be um, inspired to think critically about their role in our communities, in our schools, in our churches, in our country overall. Because when you look at Clayton, when you look at things, uh, I think the thing for me growing up, I remember growing up at you weren't supposed to ask somebody who you voted for. Right. It was kind of inappropriate. I right. Guess. Inappropriate. And it was off limits to say, hey, well, who'd you vote for? And back when you're a kid, you don't even think twice about that. But I've been alive long enough, and I think you have as well, to see the transition. From now, you don't have any idea, especially now in our White House, you have no way of knowing what the truth is. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially considering the uh, relationship between uh, the Democrats and the uh, you know our national media. I mean, they're they're in bed with each other. Yeah, so well, they, so they kind of set the narrative. Absolutely. And I I was reading an article today about the the number of lies our our president has told and what the uh, commentator was 
really getting at it. What he was getting at was that it's not the number of lies that the president, the current president has told, but it's the number of lies that he's been told not to repeat, but then he'll get back on stage and repeat them. And maybe because he doesn't remember or maybe be just because he's a habitual liar. But it's uh, it's very concerning for all of us, obviously, that, that love this country to have a president who was willing to lie openly. Well, and it's funny you bring that up over the weekend uh, a week ago. Uh, CNN, and I don't watch CNN, but I did see this highlight because it really shocked a lot of people. Uh, Jake Tapper on the Sunday show on CNN uh, really called out Joe Biden for lying about marching during the civil rights. Didn't happen. His aides have told him, sir, that that didn't happen. Uh, and then the White House's explanation was just hilarious. They came out and said that, well, when he was a senator, he was marching in Congress towards uh, – putting through legislation to help with the civil rights. You can't spin that. Right. Now, the, the, the average American's not going to buy that. So right. uh, now they started to turn on him a little bit. And a lot of it, I think, Dr. Steele, goes back to the fact that, you know, just a couple of months ago, you had the FBI raiding Mar-a-Lago because of some classified documents. Now we have found out that Joe Biden has had classified documents basically scattered around different properties that he owns. Uh, and they've known about this since before the election. Right. So, um, well, cut them some slack because they were in the same garage with his Corvette. Uh, so they, they had some security, I imagine, uh, it being in his garage. Well, one of the things that uh, a great point that somebody made the other day is that these documents that they found, he's only supposed to have as president. And but they know that he's had them since he was the vice president. Right. And so you start spinning that. But I saw that same show that you're talking about where they're turning on him, where he told the same story twice, but about two different people grabbing his cheek and saying, hey, old Joe, how are you doing? And it was the same story, but using a different uh, with different people. And it's just becomes it becomes laughable. So I don't know. uh, Moving forward, American Steel wants to expose some of that stuff. And we want to talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, And you know what? Uh, Quite honestly, we want to influence you to uh, to start understanding what it's going to take to keep this country. We're still the greatest country in the world. We're still the greatest country that's ever existed. And uh, we still uh, are blessed to be here. But we have to want that to stay the same and then to improve. And so we hope our listeners here uh, on American Steel will will understand that and will start having the courage to make that happen. I got a question for you that I, you know, before we get into the the details of what we're about to do, because a lot of people just heard your, you know, the introduction to the show and they heard that you're in the education field. And it's no secret, you know, when you go to a public university or college, uh, especially when you get into the education field, a lot of times there's, I wouldn't call it manipulation, but you have certain professors that really push an agenda on the student. Uh, what was your experience like when you went back to school? Well, I've, I had a few professors that tried to push a particular agenda. Uh, I'll give you a good example. When I was in law enforcement I was uh, and I was an investigator, I was a detective, I was taking a criminal uh, investigations 101 as an elective. And... Uh, I thought, well, this is class is going to be a breeze. And so um, a friend of mine that worked for a different agency had just was just involved in a shooting prior to the class starting. A guy came at him with a scalpel and he shot and killed the guy. Well, my professor that was teaching criminal justice or criminal investigations 101 was telling all of us that there was it was unnecessary and the, and the police officer should have shot the scalpel out of his hand. <laughs> 
and this guy said he was in the Naval Investigative Services and yada, yada. Uh, but I, I just have never been able to not uh, not speak my mind, especially when I feel like it, there's an injustice occurring. And so I wanted the whole class to know because I was in the classroom with my gun on my hip and my badge on my belt because uh, I had just left work to go to class. And I said, you know, that's not what that's not how we're trained. That's not how officers are trained. And quite honestly, it's ridiculous that you would even recommend or suggest that you can shoot a knife uh, scalpel out of somebody's hands. It's hard enough to hit a moving target when your adrenaline is going, much less to try to be that precise. You're you're taught to shoot to stop the threat. And uh, Clayton, I got a C in that class. Is the only C I ever got, and I received uh, for that particular degree. I got a C, and uh, so it was. It was interesting. Yes, uh, and I, you know, sometimes you got to learn to play the game when you're in school, and I, I learned to do that early on because it was. It, it you're exactly right. Yeah, I witnessed it with my own eyes. If there were certain uh, people that would stand up and, and maybe uh, put the different point of view out there. Uh, it typically either the student made a lower grade than what they probably deserved or they dropped the class because it the the rift between the professor and student was just too much to overcome. Well, I've told all my own children. I've, I have four children. Uh, I still have a high schooler. And we talk we talk pretty periodically about expectations in college. And I said, you're probably going to get more professors who try to either indoctrinate you into their way of thinking as, as opposed to sharing factual information. And I tell all my students, when I teach at the college level, and I've taught all the way at the doctorate level down to the two-year degree level, I tell them uh, to not believe everything I say. I mean, to if they doubt something I share with them as their professors, so to speak, uh, to research it themselves, to come to draw their own conclusions, but don't they don't have to believe me just because I'm I'm the one standing in front of them. And so I also make sure that the the team that I work with at my school uh, are the same way that they're not trying to indoctrinate. So you can talk about the Bible, but you can't necessarily try to get them to believe in the Bible. Right. The Bible is a historical book. You can talk about it in terms like that. Now, if a student. Uh, reaches out to you and wants to engage further with that, then there are ways of doing that. But um, yeah, not to, I, I, I'm not really uh, good with people that are trying to indoctrinate other uh, impressionable minds into their, especially their political way of thinking. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people would say this is part of, uh, part of the plan that uh, Saul, um, Saul Lewinsky had uh, put out back in the 1950s and 60s about converting the young and, and taking control of health care and all the things that you see the modern Democrat Party doing now, um, where it's basically a bunch of government oversight. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to convince a lot of people that, uh, the, the, you know, sometimes I suspect and I wonder, are there any Democrats I, they're going to always vote for the Democrat vote. Uh, that's what we've been seeing over the last many years. But are there any Democrats out there that actually are going to still vote Democrat but believe that w we need to fix things at our border? We need to fix things. You know, we need to identify who went out to Epstein's Island. We need to, we need that list. We need to know who's out there abusing children, things like that. There, there certainly must be exhausting. If you're a good person and you're sitting on the Democrat side, and I, I imagine there's a million good Democrats out there, it must be exhausting to sh or to shake your head so much that that we don't have that list. For example, of who who went to that island, 
And for me, the biggest piece for me that really just shook me to the core was the uh, Judge Kavanaugh hearings and how they would just bring somebody back from when he was 16 right. and try to uh, try to label him uh, as somebody that he's probably not. Um, I, it, at that point, I just knew that we're, you know, we're barking up the wrong tree if we think we're going to change some of these people's minds. Yeah, they have no shame. No shame. No shame whatsoever. So, no, I, I completely agree. And you'll never convince me that Jeffrey Epstein hung himself inside of that uh, secure uh, security center uh, where the guard on duty just happened to be away. And yeah, yeah cameras didn't work. Yeah, cameras all of a sudden didn't work. I, again, I mean, just I think the average American sees that and thinks that there's just no way. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, well, I will tell you, and I, I may have missed it, but I, I want to know where our senators and our congressmen are, congressmen and women are on demanding answers to such things, because we keep seeing a lot of congressional hearings, but we don't really see anybody taking action. You saw the, the lady get put in prison for the Epstein Island, but you haven't seen anybody else jailed or anybody else investigated. And that's that's very concerning to me. If it, we're at a point now to where it's evil, it's not just politics, it's evil, uh, that you're willing to say, OK, we, we got all these important people in this book. We're not going to release them names so people don't know that they're pedophiles, but uh, we're not going to release their names uh, because for whatever reason, for whatever evil reason it is, that's pretty much what we're dealing with. Well, and I think that evil kind of goes back to the establishment of both parties. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi at the end of the day. I think they each got their points that they try to push across to their voters. But you look at their approval ratings, Mitch McConnell's last approval rating in Congress was 6%. Uh, that tells me that, and I think that's why they all hated Trump so much equally. I think the, I think the establishment Republicans hated Donald Trump, and I think the uh, the Democrat Party hated Donald Trump uh, because he kind of affected their way of life, the way life had just kind of gone on for years in Washington, D.C. And, and I like to turn them as the establishment, the the people that are there that claim they're on one side or the other. But really, at the end of the day, they're they're all on the same page. And I think the biggest way that we can stop this that would really help our political system in this country is term limits. But again, they're greedy and they'll never pass it. The only way it's going to get passed is that there's a constitutional convention. And I really think that's something that this country is going to have to look into before it's all said and done. Well, I, I, I look at the uh, the January 6th, uh, the uh, episode of the Capitol building yes. that went down. Uh, what I guess I, I have a question for people that, you know, um, if the government is if there's tyranny in the government, then the people are supposed to revolt. Yeah, they're supposed to, and that's what we're called to do. That so, the founders built the system that way, right? And so, you know, when you say you want to ban weapons, that that's not that's not going to happen. I mean, uh, there's too many people out there that refuse to let that happen because, because they're worried about tyranny. Uh, you, I could argue easily that uh, that my 45 pistol is less uh, capable of killing a lot of people than my AR, but at the same time. I, I need that AR for for a lot of reasons. One would be potential tyranny. Correct. Well, we got about thirty seconds before our first break, but uh, been an interesting uh, first segment here. We, we the, jumped uh, right on it, right? Yeah, we, we did. did. We didn't even uh, warm up to it. We just jumped right into it, which is great. Yes, and we got a lot of stuff to cover when we come back from the break. Absolutely. So you're listening to American Steel with Dr. Mike Steele. We'll be back right after this. Uh-huh. 
Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my granddad, Bobby Parks, and my great-granddad, Julian Mays, in 1958. We've been family-owned the whole time, and being family-owned, locally-owned, means you get to get your next vehicle or your existing vehicle serviced by the same people who stand in the grocery line with you, drop their kids off at the same school you do, and smile and are happy to see you when they do. So come see us at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, on 919 Nashville Highway or ParksMotorSales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. By now, you all know about Don, our service truck guy. Well, let me tell you about another member of our service team, and that's Mike Ashley. He's the guy you'll talk to when you call the office. Just call and talk to Mike one time at 931-540-0919, and you'll see why we're lucky to have him here at the Garbage Man. Thanks, Mike, for all you do to keep the Garbage Man first in service. That's 931-540-0919. Do you suffer from knee pain? Is it painful to walk or perform your day-to-day activities? If so, we have great news at the Dr. Gill Center. We can relieve your knee pain fast and easy with no downtime and no surgery. The FDA has approved a new non-surgical treatment for knee pain, and it's covered by most major insurance, including Medicare. This treatment has helped millions of people across the nation. Call today to see if you qualify for a free consultation and get back to a pain-free life. 615-551-9224. People often ask about the initials after mine and Monty's names. Those initials are C. CFP, Certified Financial Planner. As a CFP, we will do our best to help you in the attainment of your financial goals while protecting those assets with proper insurance coverage. We encourage the team approach of holistic financial planning by working alongside your CPA and attorney. This is Gay Pike with Caledonian Financial in historic downtown Columbia. Let's make a plan. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated. Member FINRA and SIPC. NASCAR's back. The NASCAR Cup Series. Green flag is in the air at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Heads back to the City of Angels. And they're beating and banging and Justin Haley hammers the inside wall. For another trip around the L.A. Coliseum. Off four, checkered flag is out and Joey Logano has done it. It's the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum. Sunday, February 5th at 3.30 p.m. on WKOM 101.7 FM. Friends, American Steel, we're back. I hope you're doing well, and I hope that uh, you are enjoying our podcast thus far. Uh, so when we left, we, we were talking. We kind of jumped right into politics, Clayton. But let's uh, you ask a question about education and, and maybe where the direction, in my opinion. I've been in education now for, I guess, close to 20 years now uh, after getting out of law enforcement for 10 years. And uh, kind of a great story. I, was, I ended up being a school resource officer when I decided I wanted to be a uh, a principal in working in a high school. And so that so there's a lot of story between that, that, but, uh, here I am. And I think that, uh, I think, first of all, I think our, we've got multitude of kids that are highly intelligent kids that go to school every day, do a great job. They work hard. They're dedicated. They're brilliant. 
they do everything we want them to do and more. And I want to shout out to them because a lot of times they don't get any recognition because we're spending too much time on the kids that are needy, that need it. Uh, and um, that seems to take up our days with kids that um, are not doing the right thing or kids that are struggling uh, in some way, shape, form or fashion. I love those kids uh, as well, of course. Uh, but I think there's uh, a lot of things that can be fixed in our education system. And uh, I'm ready to field any questions that you have. Well, I, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show that uh, I would consider myself a libertarian. And, you know, you, you look at Bernie Sanders today. He's kind of the guy that, uh, you know, really captures the minds of a lot of these college students. When I was in college, uh, it was a guy by the name of Dr. Ron Paul. Ron Paul used to come around to all the college campuses, uh, you know, throughout the southeastern part of the United States and other parts of the country. Uh, but he, you know, really big on the libertarian message. And he always believed, and I want your opinion on this, that education would be better suited, handled at the local level, not from the federal government. He was always, you know, for abolishing the Department of Education, keeping that money locally and let the states control that and let the local, um, you know, the local school boards uh, decide how to spend that money and how to, you know, ba- use the curriculum however they want to and basically set up competition among states as to um, making, you know, seeing what, what works. So let different states try different ways. Uh, and then maybe you can see, uh, you know, a model out there. I think Iowa is one of the top states in the country as far as education goes. Uh, that other states could piggyback off of. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, that's a lot uh, to unpack. But I tell you, we've got uh, plenty of brilliant future doctors and uh, lawyers and principals and broadcasters. we got plenty of those to keep us going for hundreds of years in the United States. They're there. Again, they don't usually get a lot of the attention because we're having to deal with uh, variables that are beyond our control. Uh, for example, having a federal state department of a department of education, I, uh, Clayton, I tell you, in my in my history, you probably I can't think of one person that's ever agreed that it was a good idea. And any time the federal government sends some mandate down to the state, and then the state sends it to us, you got to do this, you got to fill out this survey, or you got to take this test. I I don't I can't think of one person that thinks that's a, that's a good idea. We follow the direction that we have to follow, uh, and we do it reluctantly. Uh, then we go in to sit down with our children after we've prepped all year to take these exams that are supposed to give us data that tell us how we're doing uh, and tell us how smart the, the children are. And then you sit down to take the test, and then the the platform doesn't work, or they don't get the they don't get the data back in time for you to analyze it. For you to improve or prepare for this year. So all these variables that educators can't control, but are expected just to kind of shake that off and still get in the classroom and and have all the pressure to perform and get our, our students at a high level. Uh, it becomes um, it becomes ridiculous at some point. Yeah, my mother was an educator and retired because of all the red tape. She, uh, she just wasn't going to do it anymore. And that was probably back in 2009 or 2010. And uh, I have a feeling that there have been quite a few educators who have retired because of the the red tape that uh, comes along with federal government money that are that's sent to the states for education. Yeah, you're right. I, absolutely. And I've worked with brilliant educators who if uh, and brilliant directors or superintendents of schools that if they were just left alone. Uh, but I'll tell you, anytime you tie money that they're going to withhold money from you if you don't do X, Y and Z. 
uh, that's never a, that's never a good concept. It's not a good way to do business. Not a good way to do business. It's not, it doesn't establish any kind of trust, uh, with you or can I actually depend on the federal department of education to support, uh, me and my school, my district and these endeavors. If all they're going to do is threaten to keep withhold funding from you, uh, that in, that only hurts the, the children at the end of the day, it only hurts the children. And then, yeah, that's not, we go down the path of what we're paying our educators, and then what we're expecting them to do. We don't pay them near enough, and uh, they're the ones producing our future. Well, and here's the other concern, and we, we've touched on this on a couple of our shows here at the radio station, and that is you're not seeing the number of students exiting college wanting to get into the education field. It's dropped substantially. I believe MTSU uh, last December, not this past December, but December before, which is the largest state institution um, in Tennessee, uh, graduated two education um, uh, majors. Right. That That's scary. Well, we're seeing that at our level, too, Clayton. I mean, we see that because we don't have enough applicants for jobs. So you can come uh, to any any district probably in the middle Tennessee area, and you should be expected to start as a teacher around $50,000 a year. Keep in mind, you got the summers off, you got spring, a fall break, you got Christmas and all. You got a lot of time off too. So really you're working 10 months out of the year making 50 grand. That's not bad. Uh, you get out, you know, probably three o'clock every day. So there's a lot of perks to, to that. But at the same time, when young people see, and I've tried to run a teaching prep program at a high school level and there was no interest in it. So we had to, we had to stop it. So I called it something different that would not only uh, introduce the teaching uh, profession to students, but also introduce things like the psychology of how how people learn. So, if they wanted to run a daycare or be a teacher or run their own business, there it, it, it had a multitude of applications. If you went into that course, so we were able to get interest that way. But just a strict teacher preparation program, there was there was zero interest in it. Well, and you also see, and I think I heard Miss Lisa Ventura say this. Uh, one of the problems she thinks is just maybe some of the negative media that teachers get sometimes a lot of the negativity that you see you see these videos of uh you know students and, and teachers having you know physical or oral disagreements um what are your thoughts on that and how teachers are per- perceived by the media well uh, again it's uh it's rare that you there's a media source out there that you just have the 100 percent confidence in right um and you know, it's easy to explain. They want, they have to sell. They want to sell, uh, and they want a viewership. I understand that. You're not going to see the good stories. No, you're not going to see the good story. One of the things I tell my staff all the time is, you have to have artifacts of success in whatever program you have, and what that means. Because some of them give kind of give me a look like, what, what does that mean? Well, you have to do the right thing by being in there, teaching your heart out, and you have to let people see you doing the right thing. There's two different pieces of that because. Uh, if you just expect the, the masses to believe you're in there teaching your heart out, that's not enough for most people. They want to see an artifact of your success, whether it's uh, we're sending a student, again, like, uh, you know, Murray County Schools has one of the only uh, national merit scholars in the in the district. Uh, and that's amazing. That's an artifact of success. Sure. And she was able to get that at a particular school. That's an artifact of success. The number of uh, students that are getting uh, scholarship money uh, from a particular school, those are artifacts of success. And with our with our career and technical education uh, programs, which are absolutely amazing, artifacts of success are 
a robotics competition or are like a, a culinary that, that, that does a lunch for you and does all the presentation. Those are artifacts of success that when people see that now they can't deny that, hey, these students are very awesome. They're awesome. And then they come up and they'll ask me like, hey, this is amazing. And I'll say, yeah, look at see that student over there. Yeah, that student right there. They love doing this, but they they have a they struggle doing that. But look how amazing they are here, and this is what this is what we're going to use to get their mindset right, so they don't ever have to go back to this lifestyle that they were brought up in, and now they have a chance for success if they stay in this program, whether it's an academic endeavor or whether it's a career and technical education endeavor. Well, and I think you know we could highlight this on your show because it's your show, uh, but you know what I can tell from you from the, from the little. Uh, engagement that we've had over the past couple of weeks or months um, at the end of the day. And I think you would say this about your teachers as well. You care about students. That's why you do what you do. You care about kids. Yeah. I mean, I get that a lot and that's, that's very, very true. I was in a book club today. We did a book club and there's about 20 students in there and I was invited and I actually read the book that they, uh, it was a really short read and I read the book and the book was about loving and being kind to one another it was in it there was so many uh, much so much more deeper applications if if you wanted to go there and i said something and one of the students said dr still is it true that you love you you love us but you don't cut us slack on like anything i'm like that's that's right that's That's because you love that's because i love you right and i know that this i know what this world will do to you if you are if you go out there thinking someone's going to cut you some slack uh, that doesn't mean we can't have fun. That doesn't mean I can't tell you I do love you. I, it's like I love my own children, but I'm only going to cut them slack when I think it's appropriate enough where it's not going to interfere with their learning of what to expect when you get outside these comfortable walls that we're in. And so I, 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 I'm very proud that you recognize that because I love kids. And I'll tell you, it, a lot of times when you see someone that loves children and students as much as I do, it's because they didn't have that example growing up. And I'm one of those people that never had that, uh, that real example. As a matter of fact, as an athlete growing up, um, I can look back now and see the people that really didn't care about me unless I was performing athletically for the school. Other, if, the, if that was the case, then I was celebrated, you know, at the banquets and at the luncheons. But if I wasn't and if I was hurt, then I just was forgotten about. And that's one of the things I just don't allow. I don't allow our students to um, to be treated in such a manner. Any student, I want them all treated the same. I want them all to have the same fair opportunities uh, moving forward. And that kind of goes back to our the first part of our discussion about politics. I want them to leave high school understanding that when they go to college, they don't have to listen to nonsense that's being pushed on them because they're going to have people that just want them to do well. And then you're going to have people that are pushing nonsense on them. And I don't, I want them to be able to think for themselves. You know, you mentioned uh, your upbringing kind of molded you and made you who you are. And I'm sure a lot of your goals, because you work with kids who maybe come from similar situations, uh, is to say, look, you know, I, you can take this negative, but you can turn it into a positive. And, and, and you're, you're living proof of that. Everything I told a group of t- kids the other day that are not on track to graduate, uh, I think they'll make it. But every this time every year, there's always a handful. And, and Clayton, I've gone to, I've gone to ch- uh, a child's home on graduation day. Pulled them out of bed, brought them to the school, made them take their last science test, for example. 
they pass it or whatever, they get the grade and then drive them to graduation. That's that's the last minute type. Uh, but I, I we always start really early with with uh, seniors who aren't on, on track to graduate. And I, I told them they look around my office at this degree and that degree and then my Marine Corps stuff and. I tell them, this is all an illusion if you think it came easy. Everything you see here was a grind for me, everything. And when you look at that diploma, that degree, I'm proud of it, but I'm paying for it. I'm still paying for it. Nobody paid for it for me. I didn't go to school on a scholarship. I probably could have, but I had nobody at all to explain what that looked like or to tell me that I was capable of doing that. So I joined the Marine Corps, and I love the Marine Corps. I love the military. Shout out to all my brothers and sisters. I love law enforcement, but the Marine Corps was a necessity for me. It wasn't something that I planned on doing. As a matter of fact, I remember to uh, my gunny, Robbie Winchester. If you listen, Robbie, you know I love you, or gunny. But he, um, I remember walking to the Marine recruiter when I woke up after high school graduation with no no plan. Everybody in the house was gone. It was me, and I thought to myself, "This is really spooky because I don't have even. I can't even go to school and be popular anymore." Uh, I remember walking, and I, I don't want to say I walked ten miles uh, in the snow uphill both ways, but it was a good five miles. And I just walked. I remember walking down there, and he was coming out of the office while I, I just I walked up, and I said, "Hey, I'm here." And he said, "Get in the van." And he took me right there on the spot and gave me the ASVAB, uh, and I passed it. And then back then it was easy to go to boot camp. Now you wait six months. Uh, they've got a waiting list, but back then I think I was in boot camp within two weeks. Wow, where'd you go? Paris Island. Paris Island. Went to Paris Island. I was in Paris Island in two weeks. I was in Meps within one week at Jacksonville. Then I went back took a train up to uh, Savannah and then a bus to Paris Island. And back then you had to write a letter. Now they got phones, but you, you wrote a letter. And so I wrote a letter and they tell you what's right. Dear mom, I'm in Paris Island. I'm doing fine. I'll, I'll be in contact. It's not a long letter. And the first, my mom wrote back and she said, Oh my God, son, what have you done? You'll never make it. And so I'm like, Whoa, okay. That's a, that's a, all right now. And I'm one of those kind of people too. If you tell me I can't do something, You're I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove you wrong. So I graduated from boot camp uh, with a meritorious promotion, went on to have a good four years, learned a lot, learned a lot of great things. But that was a necessity for me. I uh, and I wouldn't change anything for the world, but somebody should have been trying to pour into me what I expect my staff to pour into these kids, pour into me that you're capable, even though you don't have the upbringing or some of the things that other kids may have as a blessing. Even if you don't have that, you can be highly successful. Well, I, I, I tell you, uh, just a great story and a living example and proof that uh, regardless of your background, uh, you know, anything is possible. And you turned a negative situation into a positive, and now you're affecting thousands of lives uh, between uh, all your different stops uh, in the education field. So uh, I, I think that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I do have a student at Central High School. She's a freshman, and she's enjoying every minute of it. And, uh, th- you know, I don't think – I don't think a lot of people could have said that a couple of years ago. You know, there 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 was some problems there, and uh, I told you this during the break. I feel like uh, there's a lot of momentum. A lot of people in the community are feeling like you've really got that ship turned around, heading in the right direction. Well, I appreciate that. The support has been uh, amazing uh, from all walks, all areas. The school board, the central office superintendent, uh, the parents, and the students. And I've had more students come up to me in the last six months, three months. Uh, first semester and say just what you just said, basically just, you know, thank you and those kind of things. But I got to be honest with you. Uh, 
somebody told me during the interview process that I had already, there was an already an amazing staff there. They just needed a, they needed a recast and reinvent a vision and, and, and be motivated to go down that mission road in a very, uh, in a, a, a way of full fidelity. And so, uh, one of the things I was able to do is hire, I've got four uh, other administrators. I got to hire two of them. Two were uh, already there. All four are fantastic. They're doing amazing work and they're so supportive of the staff. But the person that told me about the staff already being amazing was correct. I already had, there was already an amazing staff there. Um, getting them to see that what we could be compared. Sometimes people get complacent in where they are and it's sometimes it's not their fault, but they fall into it. So then it becomes their fault. And one of the things I don't do is I don't allow for excuses to interfere with our mission parameters. And so, uh, I already, I inherited an amazing team. I was able to hire, uh, uh, several amazing folks and, uh, they're the real ones out there getting the job done, turning the school around. Well, I think it goes back to leadership, and I think uh, I, I think if uh, we, we ask your staff and your administrators, they would tell you that that you provide great leadership, and, and that kind of once I kind of want to segue into that. You know, sometimes it comes natural. Sometimes people are just natural leaders. Uh, some others aren't, and it becomes very uncomfortable for them. How do you teach a young man or a young woman? Uh, the basic foundations of how to be a leader, because that's what this country we we need leaders. We need people that are going to lead the way, not be followers. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't work out for everyone. But how do you instill that in the young people? Today, I was in the hallway when school was starting, and uh, I dropped my water bottle and I put a little puddle, uh, spilled a little water on the uh, in the hall. And so I called for the custodian to come over. I told her that we had a spill. Um, and I didn't call her over there to clean. And there were students standing around me talking to me when this happened. And we were engaging in conversation about scholarships and whatnot. And when the custodian got there, I got a bunch of paper towels and I got on my knee, knees and I wiped up the water off the hallway. And, um, of course, she's an amazing custodian. Uh, and she said, you don't have to you don't have to. You don't have to. I said, absolutely, I have to do this. I, I'm the one that created this mess. And then I wiped it up, and that was not that big of a deal. With well, a kid said, "Dr. Shield, that's not your job." And I said, "No, no, no, you're missing the point. This is my job. My job is service. And if you miss that piece of it in leadership, then you're never ever going to be a great leader." So I've been doing that for years. Like I'll go into when I get a chance to go in the cafeteria, um, I'll take the garbage can and push it around, and I will collect the trash for my students. I want. It's not. I don't have to do that. I don't even have to be in the cafeteria if I really chose not to be, but they see that amount of service and they they're like, wow, okay, here's the here's the principal it's supposed to be a big shot, but now he's collecting my trash. It, it it has to evoke a at least a thought for them to wonder what they're doing with their life or with their integri- integrity. And I'll tell you this quick story that started that when I was in the when I went to boot camp, I uh, became a squad leader almost instantly, and um, we were going to eat. I got in line to eat first, uh, before my squad. And I got, I got hired as the squad, the second squad leader on day one. I got fired as a second squad leader on day one. Uh, and that happened like 25 times between now and the time I graduated before I, I ended up being a squad leader and, and graduating with that meritorious promotion. But those drill instructors swarmed me and were in my face for a good three or four minutes screaming at me, 
you never eat first. You never, leaders never eat first. And so to this day, I will not eat first. Even if it's a party for to honor me, I don't eat first. And I, and I just, there's no way I refuse. And I had a assistant principal years ago. I had a assistant principal. We had this nice luncheon for everybody. And he jumped up there and he was in line like this third or fourth person line. I said, hey, come here a second. I said, no, don't ever eat first. He said, well, there might not be any left. I said, that's a, that's a chance you'll have to take, but you'll just have to figure that out later. You, or you'll go without food, and that's fine. But make sure everybody that looks up to you for leadership eats first. And that, if you just use that one rule, then that means that you are answering their emails. You're going to their rooms when they need you. That means you're listening to them when they need you to listen to them because they know you're willing to not even eat first and you're willing to let them eat first. Uh, that practice, just that simple practice right there, should really drive your whole leadership experience. Your your bachelor's degree was in psychology? Psychology. Master's degree in psychology? Psych and counseling. How did that help shape you to become an administrator? I, I You know, you're not the – I called you a unicorn last week because you don't see many people like you in education. Uh, I think it's rare, but I think it's great. I think we I think we need more leaders like you in education, and hopefully that will happen. Uh, but how did that help prepare you for the job that you have now? Well, really, it starts all the way back to my uh, my childhood, really, when I think about what I wish – when you're young, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So when some when, when you're living in a one bedroom apartment and you have roaches, you don't know that that's not normal, and, and you don't realize that you could be living in a four thousand square foot house with a four car garage. Not that I live in that now because I, I still don't live in that house, but uh, but and then you go all the way up through your high school, then your military and law enforcement, and then let's I here I am. I, I got when I was in law enforcement, I did I uh, I got in trouble. I was going to get reprimanded for something. I don't even remember what it was. And I remember looking above this guy's desk as I was standing front and center, and he was chewing me out for something. I don't know what it was, but um, I saw that he had a master's degree. And I went home that night, and I told my wife, I'm going back to school. My first class was Psychology 101, and then I had a business class and a psych class. And I thought, maybe I'll get my business major and I went into psychology class, Dr. Dorothy Purdy. I'll never forget Dr. Uh, God rest her soul. Uh, I love Dr. Dorothy Purdy. Uh, I was probably 25, Clayton. Dr. Dorothy Purdy uh, was probably 65, uh, African-American female. Here I am, a white male, 25. She's uh, African-American female, 65. And we were. she was teaching her heart out, and I was doing everything I could to refute what she was saying. I wasn't trying to buy into anything she was saying. I was just that kind of arrogance. A long story short, uh, I, I, I love Dr. Purdy. I used to, I got to the point where I was carrying, she, carrying her briefcase out for her, uh, not for extra credit, but just because I, I ended up caring about her so much. Uh, I actually, when I was at SRO down in Orlando, I brought her to my school and she, and she sat on a panel. We did a panel discussion. Kids loved it. But Dr. Dorothy Purdy is the reason that I changed my major from business psychology. And it was just that she was making it so real to everyday life. And I, I was having, I was a, a young father at the time, and she started talking about the different theorists, psychological theorists, and about parenting and raising kids and love and punishment and discipline, and all those kind of things. And I didn't agree with a lot of it. But the way she presented it and the way she expected me to, to uh, understand it, uh, I have so much respect for her. To this day, I, I don't remember many of my professor's names, but I remember her. 
Wow. I, I tell you, and it's people like that that influence uh, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of people. And it only takes one person to, to change the whole direction of someone's life in a positive manner. And uh, that, that's a fantastic story. Dr. Steele, we're up against our final break of the uh, show. Uh, so we'll take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with American Steele with Dr. Michael Steele right after this. Ram owners know tough, and they know what they want. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, you can count on us to have a huge inventory. Call or stop by to talk to one of our Jeep or Ram product specialists, and we will help you build your dream ride. You can count on us. Choose a 1500, 2500, or 3500. Pick the power, options, even the color you want. Buy online and save time with our online shopping tool. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, you can count on us. Online at ColumbiaCDJR.com. Let's talk custom design jewelry. Did you know Tillis Jewelry in downtown Columbia creates custom design jewelry and has been for over 30 years? From one-of-a-kind engagement rings to wedding bands and so much more. We want each piece to be as unique as you are and create a family heirloom for tomorrow. Call today and make an appointment with one of our designers. And just for calling, you will receive a free 30-minute consultation. Tillis Jewelry, creating custom jewelry proudly in Tennessee. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. This is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager of Columbia Ace Hardware. Did you know that Ace now offers free assembly and delivery on grills over $3.99? It's never been easier for you and your family to have a great grill like a Weber gas grill, a Traeger pellet grill, or a Big Green Egg charcoal grill. Come see us at Columbia Ace Hardware, located at 112 East James Campbell Boulevard, Columbia, Tennessee. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. First responders know seconds count when saving lives, and emergency response can often be delayed due to difficulty navigating rural locations, congested subdivisions, mobile home parks, and apartment complexes. The Locator 911 is a unique life-saving bulb. In normal use, a porch light, and when activated by you, a multicolored flashing beacon for first responders to help them find you in the event of an emergency. For more information, stop by your local fire department or visit thelocator911.com. Welcome back to American Steel. Listeners, hope you're doing well. Uh, Clayton, we've uh, started talking about education a little bit, and we uh, off, ro- off radio we talked about, you know, kids that are experiencing difficulties at home and, and all the different struggles that 
a young person might be going through and how to make them successful in school. So um, I thought we would uh, we talk about that. Maybe some parents out there listening that this could be helpful. Well, and, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about this personally, but I, I, I cannot stand when I hear an adult say that they're, you know, you know, you can't do anything with that kid. Um, you know, it, it's a, you're wasting your time. I don't believe that. I, I truly do not believe that. I believe uh, kids really want discipline. They want somebody to care about them. And um, you've had you've had many stories uh, with your former experience at Stratford and now at Columbia Central, uh, where you know there, there's quite a few kids that come from uh, situations like that. Uh, there's not many kids that I've met that are struggling that don't want to be able to rewind their life a little bit. You know, they wish they could reinvent themselves. Uh, I mean, we've had I've had students that we would send. They would never come to school because, uh, for whatever reason, they didn't have transportation. We would send, uh, we'd find a way to send an Uber driver to pick them up for school. Uh, we've paid light bills, we've paid rent payments, and certainly groceries and whatnot. Um, and then you have uh, you have students that uh, you lose through unfortunate circumstances, mostly violence and those kind of things. But you're absolutely right. I. I can't think of any students I've met over the years, even some that were really, really challenging, um, that didn't look at you with at least uh, wishing they had some hope in their life. Right. Yeah. So they want hope. They want to. They see a better way. I've, I've heard of principals and other folks driving kids to really nice parts of town to show them the big houses and, and the nice cars and saying, you could have this if you work, if you do this and you work hard, those kind of things. Uh, I just believe in being real with 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 students. Um, if their background is very tumultuous, I get that. But I, we only talk about that for a little bit, and then I don't want to hear that excuse because when you come to the school, you are surrounded by people that love you and that want to pour into you greatness and great things into you. Whether it's whether it's taking you to lunch or whether it's uh, just helping you sit down and take a test or study for an exam, something like that, um, or buy you a pair of uh, cleats because you can't afford a pair of cleats. I'm sure you've done that many times in the past. Uh, and you get into that, you get into that space a lot. And I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way, but you're right. These kids have every opportunity in the world to do something or to basically reconstruct their life and move forward in a more uh, excellent way. How do you, you know, you look at all the different avenues um, that, that a kid can take. Uh, talk about some of the things that, that, you know, for example, athletics. You know, sometimes athletics uh, can be used to, to help motivate a child or, or, or really give uh, the kid an incentive to, you know what, this could take me places, but i got to do well in the classroom. Uh, you're an athletic guy. You, you, you love athletics. Uh, do, you, do you believe that athletics can help? Uh, in that avenue of, of maybe helping a kid that maybe has some issues, uh, but also it gives them that hope that, you know what, I can get out of this if I do what I'm supposed to do in the classroom and I use my athletic ability to take me to bigger and better things. Yeah, I mean, I, um, uh, if, it weren't, if it weren't for athletics, I don't, I'm not really sure I would have graduated from high school, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I, came, for, I came for athletics. I came for uh, my friends. It, I didn't come to go to class. I can tell you that. And I was not, I was never uh, indoctrinated or taught, if you will, as a young child that, that that was a crucial component of success was actually being in class. I mean, I don't think my, either any of my father's, 
uh, I think only one of them graduated from high school. So it wasn't important for them to see me or my siblings graduate uh, per se. So I didn't have that uh, instilled in me at all. So uh, having gone all the way up to get my doctorate degree uh, has not been easy, but definitely worth it. And I see in these students, especially the ones that struggle their ability and capability of, of moving forward in a, in a very positive manner if they'll just find a way to incorporate certain things into their life. And that's the piece that's usually missing is because when they leave me or they leave this coach or this other teacher that they really admire, then a lot of times they've got to go home to uncertainty and then they don't know how to juggle that. And then typically a lot of times the uncertainty wins out because that's, they know, they know more about that then they know more about love and consistency. Well, you know, I, I, I think, um, you know, having influences like yourself, uh, having good coaches and good teachers that, like you mentioned, want to pour into these kids, um, you know, that, that, that to me is the purpose of doing what you do, you know, because you love kids. Yes, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to future uh Episodes on American Steel, where we're going to have some teachers, principals, maybe some, uh, you know, some uh, politicians, community members on the show that are going to be able to talk about in terms of uh, what we, the things we've mentioned today uh, on this show uh, and get more input from them. Yeah, uh, we're actually uh, working on and hopefully we're going to be joined in our next episode uh, by State Representative Scott Sapicki. Uh, who is the chairman of the Education uh, Subcommittee up in Nashville on Capitol Hill. And uh, that, that's going to be – I'm, I'm excited about that episode. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of things that you two guys have in common uh, about where education needs to go uh, to, to really – you know, Tennessee, I think, currently sits at about 40th, I think, in education, 37th, somewhere in there. Uh, obviously, you know, we want to set a higher standard and um, – I'm interested to see how each of you think uh, we need, you know, how we need to get there and to make that possible. Yeah, um, that that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that as well, and uh, looking forward to hearing what uh, Mr. Sapicki um, is doing uh, for us uh, in Nashville to make our our jobs uh, a lot more viable and our ability to teach and educate students uh, not easier. I don't want it to be easier, but I want it to be realistic. I want us to be able to attack whatever issues we have uh, and not make excuses by why we're 40th. Right, right. And, and, you know, Scott, and and just to give you a little preview, Scott's really big about K through three, you know, making sure that these kids are prepared uh, by the time they get get past third grade where, you know, in middle school and high school, you guys aren't having to try to, you know, build the foundation that should have been set uh, early on between kindergarten and third grade. Because uh, Scott will tell you, uh, our state uh, penitentiaries, uh, they're all done with a calculation based on third grade reading level on these students. And uh, it's really sad when you hear them talk about that. It's uh, it's pathetic that they would build a prison in a location where they thought that your third graders were illiterate right. because they knew they were going to fill their prison up pretty soon. Some of these private prison companies, that that's the kind of analytics and research they do uh, because uh, business is good if you can't read. Right. And so um, I, I agree wholeheartedly. But what it really boils down to, Clayton, is that, you know, when I've got you got five children. I didn't know that, by the way. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Five kids. So I've got four five grandbabies. And, you know, so 
I was over at my son's house not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. He's got a, a beautiful little girl. She's uh, not quite a year old yet. And we're sitting there trying to teach her colors and things that she's going to eventually pick up, trying to teach her how to say pop pop or those kind of things. And you're spending value, valuable time with her. You may not feel like it's valuable time, but that brain is firing. It's firing on all cylinders. And she's learning, even though she can't say the colors or the numbers just yet, she will eventually. But if you ignore that, then you definitely are going to try to catch up and you're not going to be able to catch up. At the high school level, a lot of times it's unfortunate. Sometimes you're not really too concerned about the what content they're retaining because we're kind of past that. We got to get you graduated so you have a chance in life. And so we're trying to balance. We want you to learn all this content, but it's hard to get you to catch up since we you started with us on a fifth grade reading level. We're trying to get you caught up to high school and college. Uh, and I would tell parents out there and guardians out there that a lot of kids at probably in the seventh or eighth grade, uh, a lot of children are reading at the college level in the eighth grade because their parents or their guardians growing up instilled in them the discipline of sitting down and reading or being inquisitive or spending that kind of time with them. And when that doesn't happen, it is extremely challenging to get them caught up by high school. There's no doubt about it. Um Again, the importance of reading to your children. We talk about it a lot um, on one of our other shows on the station. Um, you know, I got I got a daughter, my oldest, who's a freshman in high school now. And um, I cannot tell you how many books that we read to her from the time she was a baby all the way up through, you know, fourth or fifth grade. Well, one of the things I do usually do, of course, uh, my current school is twice as large as my last school. But at the, my last school, I... Um, I purchased a book for every student, and we did a basically a book study as a school. Um, you know, and people are going to say, "Well, not they're not going to read that book." A lot of them, a great, a good percentage did read the book, and so I'm not going to make a decision thinking that. Well, if if a hundred kids don't read it, then I'm not going to purchase it for the other seven hundred kids. And the same thing kind of here. So I believe in uh, spending money on uh, the literature and for uh, making sure that the students and the community parents know that uh, literacy is our focus. I mean, you can read, you can do anything. If you can't read, you're very, very limited in what you can do. And then people say, what about math? Well, math is important, but you and I don't use calculus or algebra two on a daily basis. We use multiplication, arithmetic, addition, subtraction, we get by in what we do. I'm not saying that those other things aren't, we need mathematicians. We need really smart mathematicians, but you got to know how to read and, and comprehend what you're reading. And so that's been my focus since I transferred into education from law enforcement. we got about five minutes left here on American steel with Dr. Michael steel. Dr. Steel, before we close this thing out, uh, you you guys had some guests on campus. So you know, we talked about athletics earlier. Uh, this past Friday, University of Tennessee football was on campus, uh, and then earlier this week, you had the University of Memphis and Georgia Tech on campus. And I'll be honest with you, uh, it's the first time in a long time I can remember uh, those schools being on our campus. Uh, talk about that experience, and uh, you know what it says about where things are going athletically at Columbia Central. Well, we have a policy at uh, Columbia, and that is that you don't play if you're not passing everything. Now, that's more stringent than the TSSAA right. uh, requirements. But here, we're not, we're here, you're a student athlete. You need to learn. As, as you saw this past week, we had a couple of different athletes arrested for very serious crimes University of Alabama basketball yep. player, 
I mean, you know, it makes you it makes you wonder how they recruited somebody with that character. Even if he's found innocent, he's caught up in it somehow. Right. What, what are you doing around it, right? Well, we have that policy. You don't, you ain't passing every class. You're not playing, and of course, we try to we try to uh, have. Uh, be extremely consistent with that. But when you have someone like Georgia Tech or Tennessee, Memphis, uh, you got these other schools just down the street, they're going to look at that and go, okay, then we know we're not only recruiting an athlete, but we're recruiting someone who knows our expectations of academic success as well. Sure. Especially at a school like Georgia Tech, uh, for example, a lot of engineers and uh, a lot of people. Actually, I knew a buddy of mine whose father worked for NASA was at Georgia Tech. Uh, graduate and um, but I think it says a lot too uh, you know about uh, maybe where things are heading at Columbia Central that now you got these schools back on campus uh, showing interest in players and I think it also says a lot about the program and where where these guys see the direction of the program heading well yeah I mean uh, that's a always encouraging that colleges are there and they're uh, they're they're there on a regular basis and, and you'll start seeing that a lot more yeah. uh as we grow academically and as we grow uh you know culturally uh, i think we've already we've already got the the ship in the right direction on that um i think you'll start that'll be just a regular occurrence to see these schools because they know what kind of character they're going to get from our students not just not just athletic ability before we let you go and before we sign off here you have a special event coming up in April that you might want to tell our listeners about. Uh, I got to I got to Columbia Central this year. It's my first year, and I got to meet my secretary, whose name is uh, Dorothy Campbell. Yeah. You know Dorothy. Everybody knows Dorothy. I did not know Dorothy, and she has been at Columbia Central for over. She graduated from Columbia Central. Here's the story: She graduated, apparently took a couple of weeks off, came back to work at Columbia Central. And has been there ever since. My mother was a class in 1971. Miss Campbell was secretary at the school then. Okay. Well, besides besides her longevity, she's just really a remarkable human being. And let me tell you something, Clayton. Now, I try to get up early and be the first one there. I've only beat her once. And that's because she asked me if she could come in late because she had something to do. But uh, every other time she beats me to work. And then she asked me every day, do you want me to stay later to do anything? Um, and so if if I could get if we could all match her energy, then we're all in really good, a uh, good place. But uh, I want to honor her by creating a endowment fund that will last at that school forever. And we're going to have a golf tournament uh, at Toei golf course that's over off Kedron Road, the new Toei golf course on April the 21st in the morning. We're going to have the whole course for the entire morning. So please reach out to uh, Miss Christy Smith at Columbia Central if you want to sponsor a hole or donate or put a team of uh, a foursome together. It's $100 to play per person, and we'd love to have you come out. We're looking to have 100 players, so get on the list quickly because uh, that will fill up quickly, and all proceeds will go to the uh, a portion of the proceeds will go to our cheerleading unit uh, and squad who are going to nationals, and then the rest will go into the start the endowment fund. I'd like to raise between $1 and $10 million that will last that school forever, that future principals can draw from that money um, and help those students for uh, 100 years from now. 
Well, that's fantastic, and we look forward to hearing more about that as we get closer to that date. Uh, Dr. Steele, it's been a pleasure. Uh, episodes flown by, and uh, look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. So you listeners out there, I hope you tune in. I hope you like it. Please send any questions you have uh, on the Twitter uh, Twitter w- page. WKOM, WKRM, yes. Uh, and or uh, eventually at some point we'll have a, a space where you can call in, and then uh, we'll be having guests on as well. So thank you for listening.